Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, for any visitors that we have in here this morning, just to kind of bring you back up to speed on where we are, what we're doing, all that kind of stuff. We're in, of course, the book of Revelation. We started uh, back in September on our kickoff at Revelation 1-1. Today we're all the way to 14, and a, like a giant sort of overview of what is this book like. Well, there are three sevenfold visions, right? I say this every week, and we're... By now you're like, okay. And in those three sevenfold visions, we get a picture of the stuff that happens from when Jesus ascends up into heaven and until he returns on the last day. Um, and actually, we even get a bit of a bigger overview from that because we see the same dynamics at play all the way back in the Old Testament. And these things have been happening literally all of the time. But for us, we're most concerned about Jesus ascends into heaven, and then he's going to return one day, and, and that's what Revelation is about. But those three sevenfold visions are only a small part of Revelation. Then we get these other pieces uh, in between spots, and we're in one of those spots where John is still having a vision of what's happening what's going on when it comes to God and his kingdom. And that's what we're hearing about today is especially his, his Christian kingdom that is still on earth. Uh, if you are a visitor, we're using these revelation. It's just a revelation um, text, but then it's got spaces in the margins. Uh, on the other side, I should say, for your notes and such. So if you want one of these, we still have some left. Just let me know after church uh, or catch an elder or something like that. Elders have these little name badges on. They say elder on them. Um, we'll make sure and get you one of those. So um, from Revelation 14 this morning, we read about one more time the 144,000. Because this is the word of our Lord, would you please stand? Revelation chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and for the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless." This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, um, there are a couple of things in this text that we should decode really quickly. Um, in that, in that book that, that some of you have, and hopefully um, if you would like one, I can get one to you, there is in the front a, a sticker that I put in there that's got some of these things listed in there. One of them is the number 144,000. I think it's important to note that um, as we read Revelation, um, there are, we don't read it in a very tightly literal sense, um, but we don't read it also in a fully symbolic sense, meaning that there's nothing really behind these things. I, the word I like to make up and use is literalistic. Um, so there's real meaning, but the, the, the meaning is, is found in symbolic ways. 
So for example, the 144,000, this appears a few times in, in Revelation, and you might be tempted to think, so there's only 144,000 people who get to go to heaven? That's not at all what that means. The, the literal meaning behind that symbolic number, that's why I call it literalistic, is actually pretty simple to figure out. There's, um, you have the number 12 that's found in the Old Testament people of God in the 12 tribes. Okay. And then you've got the New Testament 12 disciples turned apostles, and that represents all of the New Testament people of God. So you've got all the Old Testament and New Testament. 12 times 12 uh, is not 144,000, but it's 144. Well, you multiply that by 10, which is a number that is of like a godly perfection, fullness, complete. Um, it, it is the, like the, the number 30 donuts I had. That's all of the donuts I can have, right? Or they just start spilling out. So that number 10 is, is that fullness, but it's not 144 times 10. It's 144 times 10 times 10 times 10. Ooh, Trinitarian. A Trinitarian 10. So it is the fullness of God, the fullness of, of the numbers of people of God, that is what 144,000 means. That's what we're talking about in, when we have that 144,000. And, and so it's, when, it, when it's saying in our text this morning, these 144,000, that's, that's not the, like a specific literal number, but how do you count how many Christians there are on earth? At any one given time, plus from the ascension of Jesus until he returns, there's more all the time. I don't know. It's, it's impossible to figure out how many there are. So that number is actually kind of useful right there. But in our text this morning, um, the, the peace and great joy, <clears throat> excuse me, that comes from our text starts right away at the beginning when it says these 144,000 have the name of the Lamb, who is Jesus, right? We know that from a million different places in Scripture, but most notably, of course, John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb is in Revelation a couple of times. The Lamb is with the 144,000, so Jesus is with us, but even more specifically in that, we have this uh, stamp of eternal Approval, stamp of eternal approval on our foreheads. So I'm going to use, go right to the text really quick. Um, I'm actually going to go out of order here, fellows, so hang on. <laughs> Revelation 7, 3 to 4. Let's start there. Revelation 7, 3 to 4. So it's the second one. So this is earlier in Revelation. I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Thanks be to God. We have this eternal seal, this stamp of approval. And it is, we're going to go to the last text here, Revelation 14.1 from our, our text this morning. We have, then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, that is Jesus, with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads, the name of God written on their foreheads. That's the way in which they are sealed and marked as the church. That, that's it. That's how God keeps track of his people. And that's what gets you into this group. It's, it's really very simple, but it's also this brilliant proclamation of the gospel. There's, there's so much teaching out there of what Christianity is that is, that is not true. It's, it's more of these are some characteristics of Christianity or many Christians are like this. But what makes you one of the people of God? 
God has marked you, put his name on your forehead. He has given you faith to believe. It is not what we do. It doesn't say the 144,000 are with the lamb. And those 144,000 are the ones who go to church every Sunday. <laughs> That's not in our text. The Bible doesn't say that. I would love someday to, to make a, just a, a book on stuff the Bible doesn't say that we either believe or the world says we believe. It's just not true. The Bible doesn't say the 144,000 are the ones who go to church. Or the 144,000 are the ones who give to the church on Sunday. Ah, not everybody is part of it. You just go to church. You, didn't, you don't give donuts up. You keep all the donuts to yourself, right? That's not what it says. Do you have that mark on your forehead? And it's not something that the 144,000, God's people on earth, are able to even do themselves. God puts that on their forehead. Has God marked you as one of his kids? Has that happened? And, and if you have strayed and, and you've, you've done bad things, you've led a sinful life, you strayed from the church, you haven't been to church in forever, you don't give, you don't do that, and all of these things doesn't change if you believe. And, and if that mark is there on your forehead, that's what matters. That's what God is tracking. <laughs> we talk all the time about the things that we are tracking I track all kinds of weird things in, in my life. I, I try and you know, track my workouts, calories burned, calories taken in, um, vitamins, vegetables, all of these kind of things. Just, and that's just me physically. Then I try and track like how much I'm reading, how much I'm doing this, how much time I'm spending on that. We're, we're tracking so much data in our lives. And maybe at work you've got people tracking your data, Right? Now, I know in some industries that if you've done this number of things, you've completed this number of evals of these patients, or you've gone through this many of the reports, that is all tracked, and then somebody, a supervisor, says, you are doing well because you did this number of things, or you are not doing well because you only did this number of things. God doesn't track any of that. God tracks, are you my kid? Are you part of my family? Are you one of mine? Do you know me? Because God says, I know you. How do I know you? How do I know you? Because it's right there on your forehead that my name, the name of the Lamb, and, and I would even by extension say the Spirit's name also, though it's not in our text this morning, it, it, the Spirit's name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right there on your forehead. So this would actually be informing us backwards in our text a little bit today, which is, I'm, I'm kind of frustrated as I was setting all this sermon up. I actually joked with Sarah, because she's the one who kind of builds the slides. This is way more like a Dan sermon, because there's so many scriptures in it, right? <laughs> but mine are all from one book, and there's a difference. <laughs> he makes fun of me, I get to make fun of him, that's how it works. So the, the actual first slide for the text that I had from Revelation, the previous chapter, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. This informs everything we talked about with God putting his name on our forehead, informs us what this number really is. It is not a microchip that they're going to put under your skin in your forehead or on your hand. That's not what this is. It's the number of a man, which is not the number of God. It's the, the marking of humanity, the world, 
not the marking of God. And you can even see 666 is in itself sort of an unholy trinity. Because the, the number of God, remember the, the number 10 we talked about is a godly number of completion, but the number that we associate with God is seven. <laughs> so it's almost, it's really close to 777. I mean, it's right, it's, it's just like, it's right there. It's almost like it's pretending to be the mark of God. Because it is. And that's what makes that, that mark of the beast so insidious, is that the devil, Satan, sin, the world, your sinful nature will try and fool you into thinking that that which is bad is actually good. To take this, well, it's almost, right? It's, it's almost the same thing. I, I go to church, I don't really buy all that stuff, but I go, right? That's good enough. Or I leave it a really good life. I, I do you know, most of the Ten Commandments stuff. Isn't that good? Like, I'm, I'm, that's good, right? What we just said, is God tracking, do you follow the Ten Commandments? Is God tracking how good of a life you live? No, but it sounds nice. The world will actually tell you that sounds really good. You did a lot of good things. You got this many reports done. You got this many visits. You did this many different things. You did a good job, and the world says you get a raise. Okay, well, I did this many good things. I reduced the number of bad things. God, can I get a raise? <laughs> no, is the answer. <laughs> that, that's not how you, you, you don't climb the corporate ladder into heaven and eternity. It, it doesn't work that way. Instead, God says, no, I, I, I can see you're in. I can see you're in. It's right there on your forehead. But look at all the things I did. Okay, that's great. God is, is ecstatic, happy. He thinks it's wonderful. You're a good person. That's good. Is that on your forehead or not? That's what he cares about. So this eternal stamp of approval is is a stamp of approval for eternity, but I love to think of it that way because a stamp of approval that is eternal comes only from an eternal God. We don't get to find a stamp and then stamp ourselves. It comes right from him, right on our foreheads. And he has marked us as one redeemed in Christ. Those are the very words that we say when we baptize a child, receive the sign of the cross over your forehead and over your heart, to mark you as one redeemed, to seal you as one of the 144,000, meaning all of those who are, are the kingdom of God. But there's also something really important about our text this morning about these 144,000, because previously we learned, we heard of the 144,000 in sort of a heavenly context. And there was a multitude, 144, but a multitude you couldn't even count in heaven. But this 144,000 is on Mount Zion. That is a vision of the church still here on earth. And this adds something to, to our understanding of God's kingdom. And Revelation 14.1 says, Behold, on Mount Zion stood the land with the Lamb 144,000. What that means is that we as God's people, part of that 144,000, the, the total number of Christians on earth, the Lamb is with us. He is here with us. 
He is not chilling out in heaven. He is not distant. And this is what the great news of Christmas really is. It's the first time that the presence of God came to be with us in a physical way that was accessible and approachable. The, the presence of God existed in the tabernacle and in the temple, but it had to be behind a screen and you couldn't go close. And it was spiritual, not physical. There was physical stuff back there, but that wasn't the the physical presence of God. God wasn't the Ark of the Covenant. God wasn't the stuff behind the curtain. He was spiritually present there, and that presence was unapproachable. (laughs) You and I couldn't have just walked in. Even the priests could only go back once a year, only a certain priest, only after doing certain things, and then God was gracious to allow him back. Jesus is the one that everybody walks up to. All of the crowds go up to Jesus. He's physically present, totally approachable. You don't die just because you looked at him, right? But he is God present. So he doesn't just zoom off to heaven to hang out over there. Now he is here with us in a way that is spiritual. But then we also find him in ways that are physical, The physical presence of God still here in ways that are mysterious, confusing, and understanding, but physically present in bread and wine that are also his body and blood. That is a mystery that I don't get and I don't understand, but it's true. And and he is present with us physically because living in our hearts, when we in Christian love embrace one another, encourage one another, then that is Jesus physically present in this space with us. This is the great news of of Revelation is all of these things are happening that we see in these visions that are absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. But he's with us. These things that, that, yes, Christians will suffer as well. Not just those who don't believe will will encounter the problems and trials of the world, the, the wars and the famine. We're all going to experience those things. But Jesus is with us. And in a way I don't understand, he's also there in heaven this is the thing that I, I love about Revelation, and I always, don't always do a great job of explaining this. Uh, I even brought it up with a, a member this last week to be like, I'm going to try and do a better job on Sunday, but I probably won't. Um, and I, of course, I'm going to use weird language. We are interdimensional time-space worshipers. <laughs> I said earlier in this series that we are interdimensional time-space journeyers. Well, this is true as well. When we worship, there is this strange interdimensional time and space thing where where heaven isn't here, right? The movie isn't correct. Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. It's a dumb line. Great movie. Don't get me wrong. I love the movie. Dumb line of a movie. Um, No, but heaven heaven isn't here. In fact, heaven isn't a place because if it was a place, uh, we would be able to get there right? <laughs> like if it's in outer space somewhere, uh, technically over time we would build a spacecraft and we would fly it there. It's not, it's not on a different planet, right? Otherwise we could build a space rocket and fly to this other. It's not on Mars. You know, Elon and, and some people will get there eventually, I'm sure, and, and maybe we get to choose who goes and stays. Wouldn't that be nice if we just choose who goes and stays? But it's not there. You, you can't go to it. It's not a, not a place. But, but Jesus is there, because the lamb was on the throne, okay? And he is here. 
as we gather especially to worship. So if, if he's here and there, if he's with us here, in a way spiritually, we're with them there. See, this is really interesting stuff. Let's look at Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. So this is, this is way earlier in Revelation. This is a vision of what's going on where, where God is in, in that out, other dimensional, outside of time and space where God is, all of that. The vision says when he had taken the scroll, that this is the lamb, taken the scroll, for, uh, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Did you hear that? 24 elders, all this, all that, and there's a lamb is there, and they sang a new song. What about Revelation 14, 3a? First part of it. These 144 on Mount Zion, they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. That's us. Remember, 144,000 Mount Zion on earth? That's us. We, as we worship, are participating in that worship in Revelation chapter 5. We worship with all of those angels and archangels and all of the company in heaven who laud and magnify his holy name evermore, praising him and saying, some of you are hearing this from the old traditional Lutheran worship. We've always known this, that we join together with those who have gone before us. Now, there's some questions like, is, does that mean that they're aware of us? You know, do they see us worshiping with them? I don't know any of that. I doubt it. But they know we're Christians. They, they know that, that we are worshiping on Sunday. Many of them worshiped with us on Sunday. So when we worship, all of those people that, that have passed over the years from living faith, the funerals that we have had here, they're in chapter 5. We're in chapter 14. But the Lamb is with both of us. We're singing this same new song, all of us together proclaiming this song before the elders and before the throne of the Lamb. We're all doing this together. There's great comfort in that to know that, yeah, one day we'll be with them, but right now in a spiritual way, we're participating with them. We're spending some time right here this morning with grandma and grandpa, great grandma, great grandpa, Abraham, Moses, King David, Dell. They're with us. Charlie. They're right here with us worshiping this morning. I can't say any more names. I'm going to choke up. People that I know and love are, are with us today in worship, and I can't see them, but spiritually they are here with us. What great comfort that is. That truly, truly, in the same way I believe Jesus is here, I just can't poke and touch him this morning, but as we commune together and receive the foretaste, we're sharing a little bit with that banquet meal that they're sharing in eternity right now. So, so much good news. And then there's a little bit of, of other news, too. <laughs> 14, uh, 13b, or 3b, sorry. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from earth. Listen. 
if, if you are the 144, which just means you believe, you're, you're picking up what I'm laying down this morning, right? You're feeling it, you're loving it, you're with me. This is crazy talk to people who don't have faith. And we shouldn't be surprised or angry. We shouldn't get frustrated with those who, who look at us and, and when we talk about our faith or live our faith and they say, uh, what, I don't, this is God in two places at once and, and lambs and, and all this. But even more than that, why would you give of your time and your energy for this cause to tell others that Jesus loves them and died for them? Why do you bother? Why won't you just leave people alone what they believe and, and what you believe? Just forget about it. Just, just leave people alone. Can't you just, and, and it's, it's even more insidious because it's, it's 666. It's almost there. It's the, the, the voice and the sound and the song of mankind and the world to, to let people be, to don't, don't bother them. If they believe something else, it's not up to you to tell them that what they believe is wrong or that what they believe isn't true. And you should be kind and inclusive and loving to them. That all sounds kind of nice. And it's almost right. But it isn't. Because the truth matters. Which is the last point in the slide, or in the sermon, I should say. The truth matters. This last scripture, Revelation 14, 4 to 5. Um, this, we have to talk about a couple things here, but it is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. That last part, in their mouth no lie was found, for they were blameless. Just pause. We're going to get right back to no lie, in their mouth, blameless. Let's talk about that, having defiled themselves with women. There's an important, like that, it's, it's not that women are defilers, <laughs> right? Or that intimacy is in any way, shape, or form wrong. And it's not as though the 144,000 are only men. Remember, there is symbolism to this. There are some practices back in the day about men and men in armies and what they don't do before battle. And also, there's some things that are ancient traditions about men who say, I'm going to forego all things, family, children, all of that, and I'm just going to be a warrior. They take a vow, and they say, this is all of who I am. This is my identity. I'm not a soldier and husband, or soldier and father, or soldier and even citizen in any other. This is all that I am, nothing else. It's not how soldiering works today. We've got some in the audience here this morning. That's not how it works today. That's what, what is being referred to here. Those who have said that and have stayed true to it, and that is still who they are. That's what that means. But this idea that there is no falsehood in their mouth, the truth does matter. It is just as simple as that. It is, is that on your forehead or not? Do you believe or not? And there is so much space in, inside the, the 144,000 to disagree on different things. You know, should uh, pastors do this and churches do that? And how do we worship? And there's an, an different sets of opinions on the world. All of that is, is, is not 
what God is tracking. Do you believe is what he's tracking, and what we believe is true. And that's what is the most important thing. For those 144,000, us, it matters that we know the truth and that we say the truth. And oftentimes that truth is received in ways where people are grateful and, and they are rejoicing. They say, I didn't know this. I believe this. I, I want to be with us and marked with the kingdom. And we embrace them and we welcome them. We love them. And then there are times when they say, that's not truth. You're not right. And you should stop talking. But I'm sorry. That's not what we are called to do but rather to be on Mount Zion with our Lord here present with us, with Jesus here in a way that we certainly know, maybe can feel even spiritually and emotionally with our loved ones on Mount Zion itself, proclaiming the truth, and the world will come, and they will try to tell us. This is what Dan was preaching about with the last piece, the two beasts, the two beasts and Satan, the unholy trinity of evil and the world will sit at the foot of that mountain and tell you to just come down here. It's okay. Be a good person. Lead a good life. Be nice. But come down from that mountain. The world wants to say, sing with us this other song, the song of prosperity, of wealth, of fun and, and excitement, of no rules, and do what you will. But come down off of your high, holy mountain as if we somehow are the ones taking glory, as if we somehow are the ones standing up there saying, no, we are better than you and right. That's not how we get up there. The way we're on top of this mountain is because God has claimed us and God desires to claim all people. He wants everyone to know the truth. So it is up to us to never stop speaking the truth. But the great joy of that truth is this, do your best, proclaim it as, as best you can, and at the end of the day, it's not up to you to do a good enough job to save somebody, or a good enough explanation of the gospel that they will believe. It's going to be God. Maybe he works through you, maybe through somebody else, but at the end of the day, God gives faith and stamps people on their foreheads. And may that be for all of our loved ones and everyone we know. And may we be the ones, maybe, we get to be the ones through whom God does that. And we get that fulfillment and that joy, but maybe not. At the end of the day, my job is to stay on top of that mountain, speak truth, and rejoice that I'm there with angels, archangels, and all of the heavenly hosts, laud and magnifying his holy name. Amen. Would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of eternal life that you have granted to all of us, uh, a, a number that is uncountable, a number that is something beyond our understanding of Christians here on earth. Whatever that number is, Lord, we know that you are with us and we worship every time we worship with all of those Christians on earth and those who have gone before us in heaven. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that as we are on this mountain together where you are present, you would call through us to all of those who are distant at the bottom of that mountain, not knowing 
that they are away from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Receive the benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.